0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection... Over half of the towns in our state have 500 or less people. Iowa Watch reports on a wide variety of topics.
1: And people would often say, what the heck is the U.S. Department of Agriculture doing financing rural hospitals or rural electricity or rural housing?
0: Our reporting in the past year has drawn attention.
2: Not enough people vote as it is, and I think even though people say, like, it's just one vote, it won't count, I think it actually does make a big difference.
0: Sharing feedback from our peers with you, that's our topic
3: this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: Iowa Watch is part of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. We do in-depth reporting on important topics, not to win awards or praise, but because an informed citizenry is vital to the health of our society. But there are occasions when our work does receive notice, and we'd like to share information about that with you this week. Last weekend, the Iowa Broadcast News Association presented its annual News Awards for Material Broadcast During calendar year 2018, we are judged alongside the largest radio stations and news organizations in the state. And we're pleased to note that this program received seven awards, including two first place honors. One was for political reporting for a program Iowa Watch executive director and editor Lyle Muller produced on the never ending campaign cycles in Iowa. We revisited that topic with you just last month. The other first place award was in the Farm and Agribusiness Reporting category for our discussion of Rural Development and Economic Issues, which was originally broadcast on September 9th of last year. We'd like to revisit portions of that award-winning program with you now with updated information. Despite urban sprawl and a larger metro population proportionately than ever, Iowa is still fundamentally a rural state. Our fortunes rise and fall based on how robust Iowa's agribusiness industry is. Maintaining a high quality of life for rural Iowans in a changing world can be a challenge. Grant Menke is State Director for Rural Development in Iowa for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He was appointed to the position in August 2018.
4: At USDA Rural Development, my job is going to be to oversee the the key programs that USDA Rural Development manages to help increase prosperity in rural Iowa. We provide loans and grants to help expand economic opportunities and to help create jobs in rural areas. So some of this assistance supports infrastructure improvements. For instance, we've got a really big uh, push right now um, to help as many rural communities as possible upgrade and rebuild their rural water infrastructure. Um, business development, housing, community services such as schools, public safety, health care, and then uh, rural broadband, uh, you know, getting high-speed Internet access in rural areas as well. So those are some of the key focus areas um, that we have. and. In addition to overseeing those programs, I'm going to be um, out around the state as much as I can to help inform people about those programs, how they can help their communities, and to expand partnerships um, uh, to, to help uh, work together to move rural Iowa, Iowa forward. Um, the longstanding standing model of USDA Rural Development is that we are committed to the future of rural communities I'm excited about that mission and really excited to get to work.
0: This truly is a matter of reinventing what rural communities mean to those who live there and for those who might want to visit. Talk about the need to make rural Iowa different and distinctive, either one area from another or an area from how it used to be a generation or two ago.
4: Oh, that's a great point. And Iowa has about 975 towns across the state. Out of those 975 towns, how many of them have 500 or fewer people living in them? And the answer is about 500. So over half of the towns in our state have 500 or less people, which just shows you, you know, and yeah, more than two-thirds of our state's 3.1 million residents live in communities and areas that are eligible to receive financial assistance from usda rural development so you know rural communities clearly play an important role in the success of our state uh and uh, you know so as we look at some of the key challenges i'll go back to you know water quality is a huge focus in our state right now and uh You know, Congress happened to provide rural development with an additional $4 billion nationwide to assist rural communities and areas that need assistance to finance their drinking water, stormwater, drainage, and and sewer systems. You know, the town I grew up in, Calumet, Iowa, in O'Brien County, um, is participating in this program, I just learned last week and they're doing a complete overhaul of their water system to the tune of about $2 million. Can you imagine a town that has about 90 households taking on a project like that without the key partnership with USDA Rural Development, the O'Brien County Economic Development Group, that type of assistance uh, and that type of infrastructure improvement would not get to take place. So, yeah, when we're looking at our objectives going forward, you know secretary purdue has has outlined three priorities that are central to his plan, and those are uh, improving infrastructure, enhancing partnerships, and embracing innovation. So whether it's you know uh, you know the need for affordable housing for local workforces in uh, rural communities, You know, expanding entrepreneurial enterprises or things like water infrastructure improvements, uh, rural broadband. Those are the areas that are going to help uh, our rural communities not just survive, but thrive uh, moving on into the 21st century. Grant Menke, Iowa Director of Rural Development
0: for the USDA. You can find out more at rd.usda.gov. The man who held that position in the prior presidential administration is still heavily involved in these issues. After leaving government service in January 2017, Bill Menner founded the Bill Menor Group and became director of the Iowa Rural Development Council.
1: And people would often say, what the heck is the U.S. Department of Agriculture doing financing rural hospitals or rural electricity or rural housing? And, and frankly, the the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, farmers and ranchers rely on small towns for a lot of things, and without those small towns and rural places, uh, U.S. agriculture struggles. So, you know, USDA Rural Development had loans and grants and loan guarantees to do everything from housing to utilities to small business to community facilities. And when when my time there ended, I really liked what I did. And I thought the only way that I could keep keep my uh, fingers in the, the rural development uh, area was to start my own consulting firm. And shortly thereafter, the Iowa Rural Development Council, which is a non-profit umbrella group of lots of rural partners, came to me and said, we think we need at least a part-time executive director. Can we contract with you to be our executive director? And the answer was yes. So. I mean, sort of a, a nice, uh, fortuitous alignment of the stars. Uh, but at the end of the day, I get to keep working with small towns and with people who want to work in rural places. That goes back to November of 2016. And we all gathered in Jefferson, Iowa, uh, the first ever rural summit that the council put on. And really, it was sort of a bunch of folks pitching in and doing all they could to make this project happen. What we learned from that event was A, there's a real demand for this sort of information. Uh, if you live in a really small town, you're, you may not have access to the same networks that folks who do community development work, for example, in a big city might have. They get together all the time and they have paid staff to do these things. If you live in a small town and you do this sort of work, uh, you might be doing it as a volunteer you might be doing it as the uh, elected but um, part-time mayor or city council person or the volunteer nonprofit uh, development director. And you may not get to go to these same sorts of meetings or uh, have the same resources that, that folks in big cities have.
0: When you're working with some of these communities, where's the gratification for Bill Menner? When you look at something, I mean, what is the sort of thing that makes you say there? This is something that was totally worth the time.
1: Uh, when someone, after the project is done, calls and tells you about it and says thank you, or honestly just driving through town and seeing something that happened because of you. I don't even need the thanks, but it's, it's nice to see it come to reality.
0: Bill Menner of the Iowa Rural Development Council. Their third statewide Iowa Rural Development Summit was held in Grinnell on April 3rd of this year. Each month, Creighton University economist Dr. Ernie Goss supervises two surveys, the Mid-American Business Conditions Index of Producers and Suppliers, and the Rural Main Street Survey, which collects information from rural bankers in parts of Iowa and nine other Midwest and Plains states. The latest monthly Rural Main Street Survey was released this past Thursday, April 18th and it shows a drop in the overall survey index from 52.9 in March to 50.0 in April. Anything above 50 on the scale suggests growth, so the index drop to a neutral level is of note. Goss's new survey shows that one of every five bankers surveyed expects an increase in farm loan defaults stemming from last month's devastating Midwest flooding, and farm loans for April grew the borrowing index climbed to 81.3, the highest level recorded since his survey began 13 years ago. When we spoke for this program last September, Dr. Goss noted there were signs then of the housing market weakening in the Midwest, which has a different economic impact than if manufacturing, for example, was trailing downward.
5: Well, of course, that's a very large portion of our economy, and with mortgage rates headed higher, and also just a lot of not a supply, the limited supply of houses on the market. And of course, that that just means for lower uh, lower sales, and that spills over into the furniture sector and other sectors. Much like manufacturing, the tentacles are pretty long on housing as it is with manufacturing. We'll see some of those impacts. I expect the rate hike on uh, by, from the Federal Reserve on September the 26th that'll tend to push up interest rates even more. And importantly, what they tell us about another rate hike, if there's going to be one in 2018, is going to have some fairly significant impacts on the economy in the fourth quarter of this year.
0: Are we able to say that much of this is because of anticipatory buying? In other words, and we're going to really have a crash then in the next quarter? I mean, that's what you've suggested that people are anticipating, these tariffs really going into effect, and so is this a bit of a false positive?
5: I think it's a bit of a false positive, but I wouldn't say a crash. Uh, Jeff I think we're just going to see slower growth and that's going to stem from uh, higher higher uh, interest rates coming from higher inflation also as I said the housing sector slowing down and manufacturing will be a bit slower because of this uh, the tariffs uh, they will have some in real impacts if the, on the other hand if the president is successful we neg- he negotiates a, a new NAFTA with Canada rolled in and also does not implement implement those higher tariffs he's promised for China, then it could be a little bit better than what I'm anticipating now.
0: Dr. Ernie Goss of Creighton University. The material you heard today was included in a program named First Place Award Recipient in Farm and Agribusiness Reporting for 2018. When we come back, we'll share more information about the awards we collected last week and revisit another award-winning segment But first, let's recognize the large number of stations which carry this program who themselves won awards at last week's broadcasting conference. Congratulations to Iowa Watch Connection affiliates KALA in Davenport, KASI in Ames, KGLO in Mason City, WHO in Des Moines, KMA in Shenandoah, and KXEL in Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids where this program is produced each week. Thanks to the stations, which have been with us now for 251 programs. And most importantly, thanks to you all for listening. More when this edition of the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at IowaFraudFighters.gov.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org.
0: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. In addition to two first place awards for reporting, Last weekend, Iowa Watch received a second-place award in the public affairs reporting category for a program on first-time voters, which originally aired on October 26, 2018. Here is Iowa Watch reporter Lily Bolke.
2: Well, some first-time Iowa voters are well-informed about the 2018 gubernatorial race between Republican incumbent Kim Reynolds, Democrat Fred Hubble, and Libertarian Jake Porter. Others getting ready to vote for the first time are still doing research. Some 18- and 19-year-old Iowans are not even sure whether they plan to vote at all. Iowa Watch talk to first-time voters about whether the gubernatorial campaigns are appealing to them, as well as what kind of information they are looking for and what issues they think are most important. Lauren Reese, for example, does not know yet whether she is going to vote, nor who she will vote for if she chooses to cast a ballot. She's 18 and from Monticello. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot, no... I don't know yet. I'm not sure. Many of the people we talked to said they care about candidates' stances on social issues in the state, such as abortion, immigration, and transgender rights. Amber Jensen is 20 years old and a first-time voter from Davenport. As a Spanish major at Cornell College who said she hopes to work with the Latino community in Iowa as a career, she said the immigration debate is important to her as well, including how it related to the immigration status of the man accused of murdering Molly Tibbetts. Jerson said that despite the fact that Tibbetts' family did not want to politicize her death, Reynolds made it political while Hubble did not. When asked about whether the candidates were talking about the issues Gerson cares about, she said, I believe that they are. Um, I follow Fred Hubble on Twitter. My friend is actually working for his campaign. Um, and I look at Kim Reynolds' tweets, but I don't personally follow her on Twitter. I do keep up with uh, the things that she's doing within the state um, through other news stations. Emily Butolf is 19 years old and, while she's lived in several places, most of that has been in South Dakota. She lives in Iowa City now while she studies at the University of Iowa. She plans to vote in the Iowa gubernatorial race, but did not know for whom when we talked with her. We spoke at the Iowa Memorial Union, where it was busy as students lined up for early satellite voting that was taking place.
3: I do. Um, it's a little conflicting because they, it becomes so extreme in some of the issues that like I agree with what they're saying, but not what they support, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Um, do you have any like examples of that? Yeah. Um, I I personally, um, my face doesn't believe in abortions. Um, so Planned Parenthood has been poisoned against me from the start. Um, but I do but I do want women to have access to health care. Futolf also said that she thinks partisan activity has turned the political process more commercial. Maguire Schultz, who is nineteen years old and originally from Des Moines, agrees. He said he thinks politicians often cater to their political parties too much and that he will probably choose to vote for the candidate whose ideas are their own rather than those of their party. Partisanship is not the only frustration some first-time voters have with the gubernatorial election and the political process in general. Tyler Dennis is a 19-year-old from Cedar Rapids and said he finds that different media biases impact the political process and determine who people vote for. Do you think like the, the media has been doing an okay job of sort of covering the two candidates from your point of view? Or do you I think, think the media is very swayed and you can see that by comparing different media outlets. Some uh,
0: media sources are more liberal and some are more conservative and you can see that difference on how uh, they're on their bias and how they portray the different candidates and like how often they
2: do and in what light. Schultz said he talked to his dad about voting and his dad told him that it's pretty easy. However, he said that while he's excited to vote for the first time, he's also nervous. The reason he had not yet cast his vote when we spoke was his lack of knowledge on the different candidates. The hard part is informing yourself, I think, knowing what's going on, he said. That's what's been holding me back. I don't wanna go up there and vote and then not really know what I'm voting on. I'm Lily Bolke for the Iowa Watch Connection.
0: That program on reaching first time voters received a second place award in the public affairs reporting category at last week's statewide news awards presentation as did a segment of the report on year-round interest in politics. That was in the Best Use of Actuality category. And a trio of programs presented with Honorable Mention Awards. Our report on the state of modern-day journalism. That was in the Public Service category. A report on the cost of college textbooks in the In-Depth or Series Reporting category. And within General Reporting, our extended conversation with former U.S. Senator Tom Harkin. Again, we're gratified by the recognition, which only makes us resolve to continue this sort of in-depth public affairs journalism for you, the audience. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more. iowawatch.org Follow us on Twitter at iowawatch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. The program is produced in the studios of News Talk 1540 KXEL, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch connection again next week.